listening to Traumedy, the podcast that helps you transmute your trauma using comedy. Trauma plus comedy equals Traumedy. I'm Nancy Norton. I'm your host. I am a comedian. I'm a registered nurse. As you know, I got out of nursing for the same reason a lot of people get into it. To save lives. And you are welcome. Keep me here on this podcast. Keep me out of the hospital. And I will keep you out of the hospital if you keep laughing. That's what therapeutic humor can do. It actually can keep you well. It boosts your immunity when you laugh. It lowers your blood pressure, opens up all the oxygen around your body, helps your memory, does so many great things, attracts people to you, makes life more fun, and on and on. You know it feels good. This is episode 25, and I am in Plattsburgh, New York this week, getting ready to perform for Girls' Night Out, Breast Cancer Awareness for the Champlain Valley Physicians Hospital. I'm so excited about spreading the good news about the power of humor, and thanks for helping me do that. Traumedy is peer-to-peer learning, and I talk with various people who sometimes are listeners who say, hey, I think I have something that I would like to contribute. That might be you. So please don't be shy. Reach out to me if you have a contribution you'd like to make to Traumedy. And my guest this week is so special. I laugh so hard. I don't know what it is. I think our muses are on the same exact wavelength. We were just, I got very giddy on this episode, especially at the very end. So uh, listen, if you need a good laugh, go right to the last 10 minutes. I gotta say, that was my favorite. <laughs> it got a little bit ridiculous, but there's so much before that. The first hour is full of gems. This is an expert in keynote speaking. I mean, teaches speaking and helps people get over stage fright make their talks better, and also as a comedian. And anyway, I just love talking with her. Uh, Enjoy the episode, and maybe I'll see you on the other side. You're listening to Traumedy, and my guest this week is a delightful, motivational keynote speaker, Stacey Peterson. Welcome, Stacey. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be a part of this podcast. Yay. I just knew this was a great alignment because of the mission statement here, which is heal ourselves and others. And I love how you speak your vulnerable truth on Facebook, on social media. And to be honest, I've never heard one of your talks, but I'm guessing that you do that during your talks as well. I do. I just lay it all out there. And then I wait for the one person in the corner who's highly uncomfortable and writes the negative review. <laughs> you and I do the same thing. Why do we do that? And I will, I will like, oh yeah, mostly five stars. And then two one stars going, I don't know what this was about. I'll get that literal feedback. I don't even know what she was talking about. Like, oh. How I interpret those, this is what I read when I read the negative review. It was the worst hour of my life. I can never get back. It almost killed me. She doesn't deserve to breathe or be alive. How dare you? That's, that's how I internalize that. That sounds healthy. I love that. Do you take that? Do you ever take that to therapy? And just, a little. Can we talk about my one star review from the one person in the corner? golly and that is so classic too i'm trying you know and you're also a comedian that's how i know you is from doing moms unhinged with andrea vall 
who I was teasing about not having Andrea on the program because <laughs> where's her trauma? Let's hear it. Um, she does. Have, I'm sure everybody has some. We could we could pry it out of her. But uh, that that show is brilliant. I have to say, and the branding of it. Oh, I'm so jelly. It's like dang, moms unhinged. We are moms, and we are self-proclaimed codependents, as you were yes. just saying before. Yes. <laughs> And trauma survivors of sorts, I'm guessing. I don't want to yes. put words in your mouth. Yes. But those are, I got to say, my favorite people. And like I was telling you yesterday when I just called and said, Stacy, come over. Can you come over and play? <laughs> are my favorite people are trauma survivors who are not stuck in that energy because we have been victimized in our lives. And there is reason to be dour and and. Uh, in, in that victim energy. And I do get there. Don't get me wrong. Oh my gosh, I've been there a lot. But my favorite people are people like you who, you know, still have that joy and like, yep, that happened. And yes, that's, yeah. What's funny about that? Yeah, that's my coping mechanism. Denial is my happy place. I was, <laughs> it's my happy bubble. <laughs> There's no problems. What problems? What drama? <laughs> Everything's good. <laughs> Do you really think you're in denial? Because I feel like you talk about stuff pretty openly. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, I think for a while I was, um, like back when I was younger. But um, I just have never been a person who's gets stuck for a long time yeah I'm just like a forward person I'm like well this sucks but I don't want to stay here so I gotta you know yeah and the word you used was forward like going forward not yes. I thought you said I'm a forward person and I was like four words <laughs> and I was trying I was thinking four agreements I mean my literal brain was trying to make the number four work and I'm like forward Nancy <laughs> forward I had a what was she I think a channeler, I'm trying to think, I love psychics and channelers and stuff, just so you know. Um, so I went to this, I just remember her saying, yep, you got that healing light. <laughs> she was channeling what I thought was like a four-year-old alien is what it sounded like. She was so cute. She's like, yep, teaching, talking, learning, you got that healing light. And then, and then I was like, oh, <laughs> and then. And then she said, you don't get stuck. And that's what the words that they, I don't know what their gender was. <laughs> it doesn't matter. But it was a cool, I want to find that psychic again. Because it, they also were talking about my ex. And they said, oh, she gets stuck. <laughs> it's You're so, like, I need that recorded. <laughs> I got to find it because I think it is on a cassette tape somewhere. I mean, not that you need a psychic to tell you. But now that I think about it, it's kind of nice to get validation. Right. Um, of, of course, I'm validating you. So hope help you take that in. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so when I was telling you traumedy, so what we do sometimes, I started off, here's the deal. I started off with this idea that I would have, you know, general lay people, whatever. I say lay people, not comedians. I was thinking, tell me your trauma and I will make a joke about it. Like I was thinking I could take that on of like, if you're ready to laugh and lighten it up. I was going to take calls <laughs> and I still, I think I will, but I'm just, <laughs> there's so many ways I could go sideways. <laughs> You're so brave. Well, I haven't done, take your trauma and make a lot of fun out of it. At your personal <laughs> well, that it'll was fun. It'll be fun. Come on. Uh, yeah. That's exactly that. My stomach started hurting because, because I, it's so delicate because I'm studying therapeutic humor. 
And I wanted to do it in a way that's respectful of the person and, and uplifting and not, and not just like, ha ha, that happened to you, you know, not the classic easiest path. So I got in over my head a little bit with that idea. And so then I, I had my first guest who was the, um, you know, the, the motivation, the, what is the word I'm looking for? The catalyst or the person who gave, just gave me this idea that my friend Heather Callahan's the first episode where she survived a serial killer. Oh my goodness. I know. Huge deal. And I'm like, how is it you still have so much lightness about you and all this stuff? And she started talking about post-traumatic growth. And then, so I interviewed her and then we tried to make light of some of the stuff around being attacked by a serial killer, which we did. I mean, we don't have to do it that way. Maybe we can deconstruct some of your bits some of your comedy bits, or even show us how you have taken your pain and played with it like Charlie Chaplin tells us to do. Yeah. Well, you know what's so interesting is that I never knew what comedy was. I didn't even know what stand-up comedy was until I was 35. I'd never heard of it. I'd never been exposed to it. I didn't know anything. And I was doing acting, and I would write stuff, and people would think it was funny. So I did this one monologue and I actually meant it as serious and everybody died laughing. <laughs> and I started getting hired to do this monologue and that's how I stumbled into comedy. And so it was never like a, I don't really know how to explain it, but basically I was just writing what I, my insecurity and people seemed to really relate. I was shocked that people felt the same way, that they had the same experience with you know, being insecure about pretty much everything. So if you listen to my comedy, it's all pretty much self-effacing and it's all being, I'm being totally honest. Like I'm always trying to be something I'm not. And then I fail. And that's where. And getting caught. Yeah. The worst and awkward feeling when we're, I think when we're masking our insecurity and you get caught masking it and then, okay, so let's just take, rip that mask right off and like step forward and go, well, here's who I really am, by the way. And the worst fear becomes like that whole vulnerable vulnerability is your strength. Thing. Yes. Yeah. And it's, it's just, I don't know. And I don't know why it comes across as funny. <laughs> oh, you really don't. Like I you really don't. don't. <laughs> it is to this day. Now, how, I'm so curious, how did you avoid, did you just not see television or how did you not yeah, know about stand up? I just, um, I never saw uh, I was never around the arts ever. So I grew up very, very rural and my school didn't have the arts. Uh, my parents didn't, weren't involved in anything like that. So I'd never seen theater, classical music, like anything like that. I had no exposure to. Um, did you not have a television? We did, but when we had at the, well, not at first, but then when we did, we had like the four channels and then your dad gets up on the roof and adjusts the antenna when the lightning's <laughs> happening. You know what I'm or I was the antenna holder where my mom would be like, get up there and hang on to the antenna with <laughs> tin foil and you just stand there. Um, this is why I have trauma. <laughs> so, uh, but there wasn't really stand up on television but I did my favorite show as a child was the Carol Burnett show yay me too I could not wait till Saturdays till that show came on 
didn't really care about cartoons. And I just wanted to watch the Carol Burnett show. And I didn't know what sketch comedy. I didn't know anything. Um, and then I had to stop watching it because my dad said it was too sexual and oh. uh, the kibosh. And so I only watched it for a little bit. But that was like... Wow. Something about that show. That must have broken loved. your heart that he forbid you to watch the Carol Burnett show and that was your favorite thing. It, I, well, yeah, I mean, I remember being really disappointed because it was the like the one show. Well, that's not true. I did like Little House on the Prairie. Yes, that was quality. I watched that too. Yeah, I did. And but I also I, I see our I see your influence and my influence from Carol Burnett. We love to act out. I love your act outs. You're very physical. It's so, you know, to me, I love, I love, I love uh, comedic acting. Um, I really feel like I'm more of a comedic actor than a stand-up comic, even though I do write bits, but you know. Yeah, I, you're I, amazing I, physical on stage. Oh, yeah, really? It's like I, so free too. It's I, like you just, you're all over the place in a good way. <laughs> like in a good, I good feel way. De- a little dependent on it. Like it, to, I have to embody it. It's almost like, it is almost like channeling my muses. It's, I think there is a part of me that is channeling when I'm on stage because mm. people meet me all the time and like, you're funny. And I'm like, yeah, well, <laughs> sometimes, you know, like I have to almost have permission or something like the lights are on, you're on the stage. And now like, Ta-da, I just ch- let those muses or like, if I'm talking to someone like you, like yesterday or anytime I've talked with you, it just feels like, my muses like to talk to your muses. You know, if other people have muses, then my muses come out. Yes. I don't know how that works. Yeah. Well, I always tell people they're so disappointed when they meet me in real life because they expect me to be funny. And I'm like, I'm not funny. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Man, we have that in common, maybe. Maybe we really need that permission to be on the stage or like having a rapport. Or maybe it's our codependency. What about that idea where it's oh. like... I'm a codependent can of whip ass, you know, like oh, open this up. <laughs> like I do a little thing, like a can opener <laughs> and I'm like, open this up and I'll be whatever you want me to be. <laughs> and that's sort of like that. Like maybe there's part of me that's like, okay, yeah. that person doesn't really want me to be funny. So I won't be funny. I don't know. That could be. Cause I mean, I can't even tell you how many times, like people who are very logical and literal, if you if I talk and I'm rambling, which I do, because uh, my mind is always going 100 miles an hour, they'll be like, wait, wait, stop, what? You know, and then I realize I'm not giving like linear thoughts. I'm not getting to the point. I'm not whatever. And so I just, I just shut up. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, it kind of shuts you down. It does, yeah. Yeah, I get you. Man, I really get you, Stacey, because I think that I, I know I have ADHD. I'm not going to say you do. I'm not going to say you don't. I'm just saying that's a real common trait of a, you do, you do, yeah. I'm saying like, oh, I do edit the podcast a little bit because I tend to start one sentence and then finish another one. Like you guys can fill in the rest of that sentence. Let's move on. So for people that don't fill in the end of the sentences, we, we really, maybe we do get kind of lost. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and they're usually blunt enough to just say it like. Wait, you didn't finish your sentence. Oh, okay. I'm so sorry. And then the codependent, I'm sorry. I yeah, didn't mean the to. shame. <laughs> Let me just get back into my shameful self. And how can I be of service? Can I adjust your antenna? Can I hold some foil? <laughs> I'll get out there on the roof. <laughs> during, the, during the lightning storm. How many, how many kids were in your family? Three of us. So I'm the middle child. Oh, yes. Yes. Of course you are. 
I am also one. I'm I'm one of the middle children. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not even the. I don't even have the title of the middle child. <laughs> one of a few. I'm one of a few middle children. <laughs> I'm the I'm the youngest middle child. Uh, <laughs> I mean, my my album is is named after my birth order. You know that I, I'm not the ninth of eleven, but I was the fourth of three. <laughs> That were wanted. <laughs> okay. Or felt wanted. Let me leave it at that. They can't argue with my feelings. That's right. <laughs> so you were a middle child in in a rural area where, yeah, it sounds like your dad was pretty strict. I mean, if he's monitoring Carol Burnett. Was it a religious background? or It was a religious background. They were actually hippies, though. Religious hippies. So they were religious hippies. And my it was my mom was the strict one. Um, but my dad kind of, I don't know, he would like follow along or something. I'm not really sure. Or maybe he, that. was he the one that held the boundary? Like she said it and he held it? Yes. I don't yes. know. That's kind of a team tag team thing they do. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I was raised very conservative evangelical Christian. So what I say is I, we were um, conservative anti-vaxxers before the pandemic like it was just a very, like we composted and recycled but we didn't believe in global warming it was very I, it was very confusing yeah <laughs> so, interesting yeah so a lot of people think oh your parents were hippies you must have had like all this free love and everything with and it wasn't like that at all we did raise our own food we you know we did very much the the hippie uh, lifestyle in that sense. Um, so I was born in a one room cabin with no electricity, potty trained in an outhouse, like the whole thing. And wow. yeah, we ate whatever my dad shot out of the pickup truck or that we grew. And so, so it was very different. It was very different. So, upbringing. What, you know, um, I was, uh, my friend Zach Moss has a podcast called hippie, not hippie. And I was trying to understand. So they try to define what makes a hippie and what makes a not hippie. That's part of the fun. And then they have yawn to see if you're a hippie or not a hippie. But so one of the things was anti-establishment is hippie. So they were hippie in that anti-establishment kind of way of taking care of their own. But and was it based on Bible teachings, you think? Or No. No. That, no. So they were actually down in San Francisco when like the bra burning and all that happened. And they were working at a bank and they joined the hippie movement. And then they ended up doing the VW bus and following the crops across the country and their bus broke down. And my mom said they rolled over the Vermont line and they lived there for a year because that's how long it took them to make enough money to fix the van. They did communes, all of that. So it actually wasn't until I was born they had a neighbor who was a conservative Christian. And so they became a part of that. Um, but they maintained that same hippie lifestyle in the sense of like the food and oh, the fascinating. And they still do. My dad built a passive solar home. My mom grows an organic garden. Um, yeah. Fascinating. Yeah. But actually what I'm thinking here is maybe not that unheard of because I was thinking, as I come from the Ozarks and very conservative background, although kind of middle of the road conservative, if you will. My parents, you know, it was the suburbs. But point is, I notice when I, I'm a, I'm a fall, I, I fall for, I could easily get in a spell of a cult because I, I've, I have to live with this, but I voted Republican. Uh, I voted Republican. Okay, everybody. 
I've had to make confessions well, I about need, this. I need like a long silence. No, just Let's just leave it there. I am part of the problem. And then I moved to Boulder and I fell in with these feminist hippie women who live off the grid, who I say live off of other people. But that is... <laughs> There is that. <laughs> Can I use your cell phone? Can I use your toilet? Can I wash my clothes at your house? I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. But, <laughs> but I fell under their spell for a while. I was like, that's, I, I mean, you know what I mean? There was this movie. Did you ever see the movie Citizen Ruth? Have you ever heard of it? I've that? heard of the movie, but I've never seen it. It's kind of a, I don't know if it's a cult film. It's, it's just an independent film by Alexander Payne. And he is an Omaha gay Man, first of all, just to know, like, so, you know, complicated. And he did this movie, Citizen Ruth, but it was showing this militant conservatives and the militant, these lesbians, these militant feminist lesbians were fighting over this woman who was having her fifth child and a paint huffer. And they were both trying to, like, get her into their camp to to be a spokesperson, like, the conservatives want, you must have the baby. And then the lesbians are like, you, you need, you know, pro-choice. You need to abort that baby. And nobody really gave a shit about Ruth. Then you saw all these parallels between the militant conservatives and the militant feminists. And they weren't, they were so similar. Yeah. So there, it makes sense. Like, yes, maybe your parents, like, maybe they're just, I don't know. What do they like? They need structure. <laughs> I don't know. I really don't know. Um, my mom was always, my mom's always been rebellious in a sense that even like with the evangelical or whatever, like I remember her like saying stuff at church that, you know, would upset people. But now she's so far conservative on the one side that I... Like we, I, we have a rule. I'm like, we can't talk about politics. We can't talk about religion because if we do, we'll fight. Oh. Yeah. It's just <laughs> like, too painful. It's so extreme on one side. And I think it was extreme on the other. So it was like the pendulum swung one way to the other, but there's no middle ground. So, and I think that's so true of society right now. There's I like know. no, like everybody's crazy. Like how about a little bit of both is right and a little bit of both is wrong. <laughs> so. Yes. You and I could tour together. Let's bring this country back together. Yes, Wouldn't that be cool? Because we're codependent. We're we got to co get everybody. Yes, we are the healers. Come on. I do talk about this. I do. I talk about like, hey, look, and I do this line down the middle of me, this torn in half, because in my family, the men were always Republicans, and obviously I'm a tomboy, so I must have identified with them. And then the women were typically the Democrats. And... I felt like because I'm non-binary, now I'm independent, right? I'm an independent. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the truth is that we need everybody. And I will say this. I will say, hey, man, I march for peace, which I do. I eat mostly plants. But if the shit goes down, I will be hiding behind my brother's gun safe eating a squirrel. <laughs> yes. So I'm just saying. But I mean not to. I, so you, do you have some of that in you that feels a little conflicted or... Have you integrated it? Have you sort of like, a, you know, you're a little bit wrong, we're a little bit right and vice versa? Yeah, I think that I didn't question anything growing up because I didn't know anything outside of how I was raised. And also I was in a very rural community, which tends to usually be conservative. And then I went out into the arts world, got a theater degree, and I was exposed to other ways of thought and other types of people. And... 
one side, like, and I didn't, I've never liked the extremes. I've always thought, well, there's truth in all of it. And there's problems with all of that on both sides. And, and then, so when I watch people and trying to get people to be on the one side or the other, it makes no sense to me at all. I don't know why I just, I'm a peacemaker. Yeah. (laughs) So it just, wouldn't it be cool if we could get out from under the spell, whatever that is. Yes. And I know I want to get back to your traumedy, but this is interesting to me. Like this is what's up for me right now too, is just this divide. Like I keep saying who, who wins by us being divided? That's the thing you got to look at. Like, why are we divided? Because we're all under the spell of our social media feed or our news feed or whatever. And I had this idea come to me. All hate is propaganda. Mm-hmm. Um, did I, not go over well in Sterling, Colorado. Yeah. <laughs> they didn't love that piece. <laughs> no, what? they started chanting, let's go, Brandon. I was like, no, no, no. Easy. Down. I had... But somehow I got him back, but it was not, it was like, anyway. And the woman who started that, guess what? What turned out to be a Catholic psychic. I, okay, complicated. People are complicated. <laughs> complicated. All right. Now, I'll, I may edit out a lot of what I just said. <laughs> All I want, because let's talk about you. And let's talk about, do you have a bit that, would you want to play a bit on here? Or do you want to tell me about a bit that shows some of that? Or, or not even early, but trauma or a way that you've taken your pain and played with it? Well, I, I have so, like, all of it, really. But um, I think that one of the things, I do a lot of body image stuff. I'm talking about, you know, I have a bit where I talk about, um, you know, I, I went through a lot of personal growth during the pandemic, and I point to my stomach because it's bigger now. And, you know, I just talk about becoming a larger presence in this world, and it's not my fault. My metabolism left me for a younger woman. Some of that, I mean, there's a lot of a lot of the body image stuff that I talk about. I've had a lot of negative experience because... Both my brother and my sister were extremely athletic, so and my both and my mom and my dad. And I wasn't. I just didn't have that gene. I don't know. I just like to read and like write stories. And so I was never good at sports, but I always had to play them. So I did 12 years of softball and I played the token two innings at the end in the right field. Like I just, I hated it. Um, and so there was some of that of like, not ever physically looking like that. Yeah. And then I got into acting, which it was modeling and acting. And you walk into an audition and I was very thin at the time, but they still are like, you're 15 pounds too heavy. You're 20 pounds. So really, they would say that yeah, to you. They absolutely. would tell you to your face. Mm-hmm. You are 15 pounds too heavy, even though you were really thin. Yes. Ouch. Yeah. That had to do a number on you. So I experienced that. And then my second husband would always make fun of any woman who gained weight. And uh. and I was like, do men really think? So I, I got, and so as I did gain weight, because I have always kind of been naturally thin and well, you know, I ate healthy. <laughs> <laughs> when you land. eat potatoes and you know <laughs> rabbit you're you're a little thin right um <laughs> so taters was it called taters or were they potatoes it was it was potatoes but you know I had to like you know our walk home was a mile up literally a mountain you know people say that but it literally was it was from you did go to school yes 
and then you'd and walk then, a mile up a mountain. Yes, to go home to your cabin. To the yes, the cabin in the woods. No wonder you like Little House on the Prairie. I you did. you lived I, it. It was my <laughs> life. It literally was. I just thought, yeah. So, I, like with pop culture, I had no clue, no clue until I was in my twenties. But yeah, but so when you so you were thin, and then. But then what were you, so body image stuff started coming Yeah. Up. And so I just, as I grew <laughs> into a normal my size, comedy grew, yes. as you grew into a normal size woman, <laughs> my comedy also grew and it was a way to dispel what I thought some people might think of me the moment they saw me on stage. And so I would put, I always almost put it right at the beginning, something about my appearance or whatever. Yeah, like that's common. With, yes. Comedians, we do a lot of. I don't, I look like so-and-so and so-and-so had a baby, you know, I guess we just want to head them off at the past. Yeah. We don't like like the elephant in the room. If we get to it first and we acknowledge it, then they can't. It's it's a way of avoiding criticism and feeling judged. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And have you ever gotten feedback that, because I have gotten this feedback because, and also people are farther away, so they don't always see my eye one for one thing, unless they're sitting up close enough where I'm literally, I start talking about it because I would ask one person a question and another one would answer. So <laughs> drifting up and out. But do you ever get feedback like, why are you saying that? Because, you know, you look great. And do you ever get that feedback from people like that are curious while you're talking about body weight issues? No, the only time is um, actually you the other female speakers or comedians. Um, and it's almost always women. So, well, men, no offense, but I've had a lot of experience with those who identify as male (laughs) in the comedy world, giving me all kinds of advice. I didn't ask for the moment I step off stage. Oh, like, you know what? Let me help you. (laughs) Oh, I don't recall. I don't remember asking. And especially right now at this moment when I'm really vulnerable of just walking off. Oh, wow. But, uh, yeah, I have had that. But I think that I do that so much just in other bits as well. So even not like the body image stuff, I I talk about parenting and like trying to keep up in like the whole mom world uh, because I had never had exposure to suburbia. I I didn't, (laughs) when I moved to Colorado Springs, this is true, I could not figure out why everybody's houses looked so nice on the inside. And it finally figured it out. It was drywall and paint. I had never seen drywall and paint, really. Wow. And everybody had drywall and paint and beige, and it was beige and decorate, you know. And I was like, oh. And so there was so much that, like, other moms did that I would watch that I was like a foreigner, where I'd be like, oh. You mean like home decorating? I mean, you had drywall, right, when you moved? Wait. What, when you moved to the Springs? Oh, when I moved to the Springs. Yeah. No, the first house we rented had paneling. <laughs> really? So, yeah. So you were kind of like, what? Why does their house look different? And then you yes. just, saw, and then you figured out drywall. Yeah. And then other stuff like deck decorating or decorating or just the way they dress their kids or eating out. Like all this stuff was brand new to me. And I just was always like trying, like, I'm like, I think I'm supposed to do this. Like, or, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. I was like trying to figure out what my role was. And I was, it took 
years and years and years, even now, I feel like I'm finally at a place where I'm like, you know what, this is who I am and I don't need to do that. But I tried years wow. to fit yeah. in because I thought that's what you're supposed to do. And then when I failed, that's where the comedy was. It's like, I'm trying to be a perfect mom. I'm trying to be a perfect wife. I'm trying to have a perfect body. I'm trying to have a perfect finances. And in reality, it's all shit. So, yeah. and, <laughs> and really trying to please, trying to please my neighbors, please mm-hmm. my husband, please whoever. And did, when did you kind of separate, like when you went to college, did you individuate from your parents or do you still try to please your parents or, you know I, what I mean? to this day, am a people pleaser, but I would say the most, it, it was really when I almost died. Like when I had the moment of like, oh my gosh, I'm dying. Um, that I was, I just looked at my life and I was like, I wasted so much time people pleasing or trying to be what other people said I should be rather than who I really was. And because of that, I had wasted my life. I had wasted my giftings. I had wasted my career. I had wasted what made me happy. I even had wasted being a good example to my children because you know, we tell our kids, go for your dreams and, you know, you're gifted yeah, but, at this. But and you're I not, hadn't done it. You're not showing it. Yeah. I, I want to hear about your near-death experience. I think I was telling you the other day, like, this is my bedtime story. I watched near-death experiences on YouTube over and over and over. And it, there is that common message. And also, I did help people through the dying process. Mm. And that was their message every time as they were getting closer to death of, if they were at acceptance was like, why are you so at peace? And they're like, Oh honey, I live my dreams basically, which whatever they were, you know, stay home with the family. I had all this time with my family. I wrote that book. I traveled, whatever it was. So that's so cool. You got that. Yeah. How long ago? When was that? And how so did that, that was, tell us about your near death experience? It was 12 years ago. And I will say this before I, I, I tell the story, but I, I was, I remember it like I'm in the hospital bed and I'm thinking these things and I, you know, I regret not vowing certain relationships in my life that life really is about the people in it and people pleasing. And then I thought, gosh, I've never seen the Hollywood sign. I've never seen the walk of fame. I never gone to Broadway. I never wrote a book. I never did any. I'm not ready yet. And then I almost died five times. And each time it was in like this a reminder. One, in this one uh, episode, like at the, or no, over and over. over. Okay. It's through several years. I got you. So at this first one, 12 years ago, yeah, all of that came to you like, I'm not ready to die because I haven't yes. done all these things. Yeah. I have two things left. So really? Out <laughs> yeah. of all of those. Yes, I have two things left. Um, and so my priority shifted pretty tremendously after that. Isn't that great? But yeah, what happened was I was going through a very stressful period. I was going through a divorce with my first husband and, um, he had been sick. I don't know how much you want to know. <laughs> get comfortable. Yeah. Um, Everybody get your, yeah. Put your uh, lazy boy recliner. Exactly. Up. Grab a drink. Yeah. Get your, yeah. we have ours. Stacy's right. going to talk about her favorite thing herself. Uh, <laughs> That's why you're here. (laughs) Um, So my first husband had a very serious illness that he was diagnosed with when I was 30. And so there were several years of walking through that journey uh, because he was too sick to work. I worked several jobs at a time. I had two small children. It was very stressful. 
it began to affect him in some negative ways. And I ended up leaving that marriage. I felt it was like best for my children. Like it wasn't a healthy environment. And no one is ever like, I'm going to get married and then I want to be a single divorced parent. Like that's usually not the plan. Yeah, not the plan. And so it's going through that period. And I had started um, a children's uh, theater down in Colorado Springs, the Academy of Children's Theater with a friend. And I was building a musical theater set and I stepped on a rusty nail. That's how the story goes. And that's an important phrase. So the story goes. And it healed fine. It wasn't tetanus. Uh, Three weeks later, the week my divorce was final, I'm signing the papers um, of the house over to him. And I started not feeling well. I woke up in the hospital. I was dying. And basically, I was in septic shock. And um, what they said was that bacteria had gotten into my bloodstream, settled to some joints and things in my back and had become infected and so forth. So I was in the hospital for three weeks. And when I left, I couldn't walk because of where it was. And then I ended up not being able to work because all of my jobs were physical. And so I went, I felt that like in three weeks time, my life had been severed because I'd lost my marriage. I, my home was gone. My health was gone. My financial security was gone. My ability to take care of my kids, um, my support system with work, it was all kind of just gone. Just nothing. Um, but I had a positive attitude. And I'm like, it's just a season. Uh, to make a short story long, the infection came back five different times. And so I've had, I, I've been in ICU. I've done 12 weeks of IV antibiotics. I've had major surgery where they put antibiotics on the bone, those kinds of things. And, um, and I also did eight years of daily antibiotics that I took orally. And wow. um, yeah. each time the infection came back, I got less and less resilient until I finally fell apart. And I was diagnosed with PTSD from almost dying so much, went through severe depression. It was just a very difficult time. Yeah, just everything layered on top of itself. And that very first time that you were septic was your first like almost die, almost died. Yes. Almost dead, near death experience. Did you die? No, I didn't. But you were so close. I yeah. And I remember that and the next morning. Um, the nurse came in and she goes, wow, you had a night. She goes, you almost died last night. And she said, we had your IV uh, full on. And I can't remember how much Tylenol they given me. And she said, and your fever was like a hundred and like, it was super high. And she said, and it kept rising. So we packed you down with ice. And I vaguely remembered being packed down with ice when she said it. And she said, we thought for sure you were a goner. And every time. The doctors or nurses, each time that each time that happened, they'd say, well, you almost died. And I'd be like, after a while, I was like, well, then why am I still here? Like it was, yeah, <laughs> so I had a little bit of a journey with that as well. But what I found out, um, I started not feeling good this past March. And then I was pretty sick in July. And I found out um, mid-August of this year that it was a misdiagnosis the entire time. And it was never from the rusty nail. It's actually from a rare bacteria from me uh, having raw goat's milk and taking care of the sheep and the goats growing up um, that I've had. And it creates septic arthritis and or just sepsis in certain areas of the body if it goes untreated. Yeah. And you were telling me about this and the fact that you now have a really 
good infectious disease doctor. Yes. I'm guessing an epidemiologist is what they're usually called. But point is, she figured it out in 15 minutes. Yes. And yes, these doc, this doctor you were with in Colorado Springs has been treating you for 12 years. Yeah. And actually it was well, a couple of doctors. Two different doctors. Yeah. Have yeah. missed it. And, she, and this doctor yes. you have now, as you told me, was, and I don't know if you wanted to even make these points because I can edit this out. You're uncomfortable with it. <laughs> no, you, but it is really anything. upsetting to me that, that you ha- lived with all this like years of antibiotic treatments, near-death experiences, sepsis, missing all these important events in your family because you were sick. And these people somehow missed that you had like three or four markers that were so specific to, what is it, brucellosis? Yes. Brucellosis. And she's like, I don't, and she keeps telling you, I don't know how they missed this. Yes. Oh, man. How are you doing with your anger and resentment? (laughs) How's that going? I'm having your anger for you. That's why I said I have to watch, I I have to watch having other people's feelings for them. (laughs) Well, it's been an interesting, um, you know, like, uh, I, I, and I shared this with you when we had that conversation not too long ago that I'm guessing it's going to be a five-step process because, you know, on the one hand, the good news is that it's curable. And on the other hand, the bad news is it's curable. And this was all unnecessary for 12 years. Um, And so I figure there's going to be a grieving stage. There's going to be a forgiveness stage. There's going to be a stage where I have to start opening my mind up to possibilities of, you know, a different ending from what I've ever been told that I was always going to be sick, that I was always going to feel a certain way. And now knowing I could actually have a healthy life, like, I don't even know what that looks like. Um, I'm probably going to need help like therapy and support and friends. And then at some point after I'm done feeling sorry for myself and journeying through it, I'm going to have to make a decision to move forward. There's um, the forward piece. Yes. Again. Yeah. Always at the end. Always, always forward. at the end. Um, but yeah, yeah, I don't think I've processed it very much at all. Like I have moments where I'm like, well, I'm like, what? I don't know if I can say it, but you can say whatever you want. I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> right. Like seriously, like why did I go through all of that? It was totally unnecessary. And I can, I can excuse and understand the red herring of the rusty nail. The rusty nail threw him off the scent, right? Yes. The rusty nail. And and I can understand that. I can kind of see like the first wave of like, it's the rusty nail, it's osteomyelitis or whatever it is. And then, but after 12 years and the panel, and she was even saying, your epidemiologist now was saying, look at these markers. There's certain yes. lab work. There's just all these different things that point to this really, like you put it in a computer and it spits out brucellosis. <laughs> yes. And that's treatable with specific antibiotics. Correct. And, and you can recover. I mean, we do... It is, yes, yeah, celebrate that you, are you feeling better now? I'm starting to, like the antibiotics knocked me for a loop. Um, but, uh, so I'm on, now I'm only on two antibiotics. I was on three. Um, and I do that. It was supposed to be three months, but they just extended it to six. And I'm like, that's okay. You know okay, what? Okay. I can do six months. I can, um, but I definitely can tell a difference in, um, Uh, several ways. So, but I still, because I still don't feel that spunky just from the antibiotics. It's like, I haven't tasted full 
recovery. Yeah. Not like I don't even know what that looks like. Okay. Yeah. So you're still looking forward to that. Yeah. Like I'm looking forward to full recovery of trauma too. Not that I know that that ever actually happens, but you might have moments, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, that is part of the point of this podcast is look, you don't have to stay stuck there. You can visit it. And it's, it doesn't mean it goes away. Like the original trauma doesn't go away, but how you perceive it and how you feel empowered now and, uh, you know, living well, laughing, all that. Yes. Where it's not like dragging you down every day and living in that victim energy of yeah, poor me. I mean, but we need to go through that. Mm-hmm. I'm not telling people to deny mm-hmm. that they were victimized. I'm never saying that. And then I, I still, I still go back. But the thing I always say about humor is like, it's like a life jacket. It's like this buoyancy and it just pops you back to the surface. I don't know. I love that analogy for me. Yeah. Buoyancy, the buoyancy of humor kind of get back up there. Like a happy little buoy at the top of the water. (laughs) (laughs) I love that song. You just sang. (laughs) Let's do a show. (laughs) I'm a happy little buoy at the top. Let's do children's theater. I would like to do children's theater, musical theater. I wanted to be in the sound of music when I was five. I was like, I remember watching that when I was five is when it came out. Oh. So that's how old I am, Stacy. I, well, my name is Nancy. So it's like that old, but yeah, I remember I was the same age as the littlest girl. And I was like, I want to be her and do that song. And I would dance and put on little shows and oh, yeah. see, it was always in you. It yeah. was always in There's you just, to entertain. You know what? I just got, uh, I just read yesterday. I do this, you know, I'm in a recovery program for adult children of alcoholics and dysfunctional families. I can say it. Um, I'm in, I'm in a program. (laughs) I mean, it's not that big. I don't understand. It's interesting, the anonymity piece, but all I'm saying is it helps me so much. And I will open a page of one of the recovery books. And can I just share last night, what you just said, it was, uh, making amends and it was about making amends to our parents and which is hard to do because sometimes they cause the trauma that caused you to traumatize, you know, back, <laughs> but I have to own my part. So I, I did make amends to my mom and even though I felt wounded, but it did go on to say the biggest amends we can make to our parents is becoming who we were meant to be. Oh, I got the goosebumps. Isn't that sweet? That's that, so good. And then, yeah. So I just opened to that page last night and I thought, I'm going to be with that for a little bit because that just feels really, there's something like mm. higher power supports that somehow. Yes. Of course, yeah. I mean, Maria Bamford has a book out right now. I think about 12-step programs come. Sure, I'll join your cult. So <laughs> once again, <laughs> I am easily uh, influenced by Yes. By literature, but I thought that was sweet. So you're being who you truly are. You always, you knew, you watched Carol Burnett and you were like, I'm vibing with comedic acting. No. In fact, I remember my (laughs) sister and I, there was a PBS special (laughs) and it was the, uh, uh, um, Anne of Green Gables was on PBS and it would come on, I think Monday nights and like I would get so excited about this show and it was a series of, you know, that they had broken up and she had this scene where she faints. And so my sister and I went upstairs after and we're like, let's pretend. Right. So I fainted and my sister goes, Oh, that's not very good. 
And <laughs> I just thought, oh, I can't act. Oh. So I never even thought about acting until I was a junior in high school. Wow. That one critique. I just was that like, That just oh. shot you down and, and you took it in and like, oh, I can't act because she just told me that. Is she an yeah. older sister? She's an older sister. <gasps> they and have she so much power. They don't realize. They do. they, she didn't mean anything. No. She was like, oh, and I never even thought of acting or really even knew what it was, but I was like, oh, I can't. Act. So whenever there was performing or not that there really was in my town, because it's a small town, it's only sports, but I just didn't even think never dawned on me. I didn't really know what acting even was. Oh, so you didn't, you didn't say I can do that. You just were like, uh, yeah. until you tried to faint and then you're like, well, I, shit, <laughs> that didn't work. <laughs> oh man. But then how, when did you get called to it in college? How did you get called so to it? So I had an English teacher who came from our, to our tiny little town from Chicago and her and her husband uh, were getting ready to retire and she was loved the arts and she picked they picked a small town in Oregon to kind of bring the arts to and I used to make up stories in the back of the bus I've always read and uh, just been really creative and so I would get bored in the back of the bus and make up characters and I didn't know that was acting so she had heard about it and she asked if I ever thought of acting and so she took me to this competition she drove me all the way it was several hours um, down to Ashland, Oregon. And I performed this little monologue, the diary of Anne Frank. And one of the judges pulled me aside and asked how long I'd been acting. And I said today, and she told me about this program where they took 60 students from around the world and they interned them in the summer, um, with this intensive program with this, the theater there, it's a world renowned theater. Lots of stars have gone through the Ashton Shakespeare festival. She invited me to apply. I did. I got in. And so my very first now exposure I, to the arts, I was have goosebumps that. now. Yeah. That was such a calling that you're, it's just an organic who you are. That's just who you are. Yeah. And I what, just connected to like all of it. I was mm -hmm. like, it was stories. There was costumes. There was music. I just never experienced anything like that. And I went back home my senior year and I thought, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to be a teacher. And um, that same teacher took me to another competition and I won a full ride scholarship to study theater. So uh, the very first time I stepped on stage in a play, I was in college and I had such bad stage fright. The director gave me a really great part my first time. And then the second time he gave me the lead and he would be like, you're killing me because I had such bad stage fright. Yeah. I couldn't even look the actors in the eye. And he's like, you're killing me. You've got to figure this out. And so I did. Um, and then I just fell in love with it and I worked really, really hard. I oh, did. That's a beautiful story. Yeah. I love it. I love that you just, your natural, just, just your natural expression took you there. And I know I'm interrupting you, but I want to ask you something about how you got over your stage fright, but we can, I can go back to that later if you want to finish your thought. Oh, but. Sure. I actually stopped acting though. So I, um, was doing very, very well. I did a lot of theater. I started getting parts in I've done a lot of commercials, but I started getting roles in film and I met my first husband and I was going to get my master's and there were several wonderful schools that I was going to go to and he didn't like the acting. 
So I, he said, you need to make a choice, me or acting. And so I didn't act for 15 years other than writing stuff for other people or teaching kids. And that was the people pleasing part where I said, I lived my whole life trying to please other people and I never did my calling. Man, that just hurt my soul to hear that. So, yeah. Oh, I'm hoping to make up for it now. Yeah, well, you are. You are. You are making up for it now. You're yeah. you're living it. Yeah. How, uh, so, but that just reminds me so much of like my ex-husband. The reason I'm not with him is, yeah, the first time, and it's, you know, when I got called to do stand-up. And anyway, I just, the day I was getting ready to do that, and I had such stage fright, such stage mm-hmm. fright, cotton mouth, and knees were shaking, and just felt like I was going to die. And he said, you know who's really funny? That girl we met from New York, she should do comedy. And it was just <gasps> like, that's the sabotaging you right It was there. terrible. But ultimately, I did, uh, it, it was kind of the same, like I had to part ways to, to do that. But tell me, how did you, do you have any tips for people? Because, you know, public speaking, number one fear and I was telling an audience the other day, I was on stage and I got a little nervous in the middle of my keynote because I'm used to doing comedy and channeling my muses, but then I'm trying to drop into a PowerPoint presentation and give some content. Yeah. <laughs> so I was getting a little, like, I felt my cotton mouth coming and I just told him, I go, look, I'm getting a little nervous and I'm going to, for those of you who have to give talks, because these are all hospital CEOs and, and my brother was in administration and he had severe stage fright. So I thought, okay. Even though they're in these powerful positions, they still can have insecurities about public speaking. So I just used it as an opportunity to like, I had this under the podium, fizzy vitamin drink I'm showing. You, you can't see at home. <laughs> this is one of but my, it looks delicious. It looks delicious. It's orange. It looks like Tang, we decided. But that, this is one. And then I said, also just land in this room, like, you know, sort of like almost a parasympathetic reset. But what do you, what, uh, you know what I mean? Like I will acknowledge something in the room or acknowledge something that is right now. And I was just helping them process my own stage fright in in real time. So I still can get stage fright sometimes if I get out of my comfort zone or forget what I'm about to say. What, what, what did you, how did you do it? Well, I still have terrible stage fright. Um, and so I used to tell my acting students this, there are two kinds of people. There are those who are afraid, so they don't. And there are those who are afraid and they do it anyway. And what I learned Um, well, some of it was just the training and acting was I, you know, when you get up to stand up in front of people and your heart's pounding and you can't get your words out, like you're out of breath. I learned, you know, like the proper acting stance and how you stand and move can help you calm down. So I learned the physical side of it, but I also through the years of just practice and literally failing, like I've failed a lot and then I survived. So there is that. So the experience of knowing in the back of my mind, I, this has happened, this has happened, this has happened, this has happened. I I probably can pull myself out of a lot of, I'm not going to say all situations, but a lot of situations. Um, but the biggest thing is I've just made peace with it. That it's just a part of my process. I know that when I go to an event about 30 minutes before when people are trying, I'm an introvert. So they're trying to talk to you or whatever. I, I know that my comfy spot is in my head alone. So I go hide in the bathroom in a stall <laughs> and I come out and I know that I'm going to, like, I have the thoughts of, Oh my gosh, why am I doing this? I, and then I have to stop and reframe and go, no, you always freak out. And, uh, even till you get to the microphone, you're a wreck. And then 
when you start, it all goes away and then you feel really great and you walk away and you go, why did I freak out? Um, and then the next day you fall apart over everything you did wrong. <laughs> Second guess yourself. There's the beautiful yeah. cycle. <laughs> that is the, the cycle the perform- of performing. Performance art cycle. <laughs> in, in science, we have the club cycle, you know, of uh, reci- you know, things, you know, being born and dying and decomposing. And, and it is, it is a cycle. That's really nice. I think, I think just accepting and I always like to tell, I, I've mentored a few people in stand-up and I, I, I and, and I do improv, I teach improv. So I always teach, we do an exercise called I failed, ta-da. And I let them get, you know, tell me something you failed at. It can be real or imagined. Usually I can tell it's a real one. They'll go, oh, today I forgot, you know, I forgot to bring my syllabus to class. I failed, ta-da. And then they have to take a bow and everybody claps. But I didn't invent that. I've just seen it in like improv stuff. I just think... Everybody has this fear of failure, especially mm-hmm. failure in front of people. So if you can like, let's all, let's all just practice failing in front of each other. And then I'll tell standups too. I want to see you fail. Like I want you to, like, I will not trust you as a comic. If you go up there and you kill from the beginning to end every show, you haven't bombed. I don't think you're doing something new or original. I don't trust you as a comic. I think you're a hack. So if you're starting off, I want to embrace the failure, embrace the yeah. times that you're, I mean, you should be eating, you should be eating it half the time when you start off doing stand-up comedy. And then if you're still compelled to do it, you, you should be doing it. Yes. Yeah. I know that's one of my, and also that you care enough to be scared. I think that's another sign. Like you're doing something that is important to you, that you care enough to be that scared. Yeah, I do. I want to do a good job because I'm a people. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and what about this whole, you know, in my program, we we realize we're terrified of abandonment. And if we don't please people, they might abandon us. And as if we're re-triggered into our childhood self, if they abandon us, we will die. So there is a feeling of I'm going to die on a sub, you know, a subconscious level. But if you can bring all that to the surface and like, okay, I'm actually not going to die. It's going to, I'm going to wish I did. You know, I'm going to wish I'm dead when people, because there's nothing worse. I mean, I just, oh God, when I started stand up and just bombed half the time and people, uh, and I would drive home going, God, why, why do I have to do this? And it was just like, I, it was like a calling and I had to keep doing it. Yeah, it's such a learning experience though, because I, I look at, um, I look at some, and I'm mostly the speaking world, but they have this idea that everything's going to be perfect and, you know, um, it has to be perfect. It has to be polished. And then when things go wrong, they have no idea how to dig themselves out of it. And I yeah. think because of stand-up comedy, like you fail all the time and it could be the same material, same everything, but if it's not the right audience and it doesn't yeah. land or just, you know, the comic before the, the com- yeah, the variables. Just, yeah. That are out of know, our control. Um, it's such an experience learning how to try and turn an audience around when you've messed up, like just all of it to be able to read a room. And like you said, dig, you know, just digging yourself out of it um, or just knowing when to leave the stage. <laughs> Get the hell out I of here. I have done that. <laughs> I have cut my set short going, this is never going to work. <laughs> In closing. <laughs> Good night. Yeah. I mean, it's been a while since I've been doing the stand up about 30 years now. But there's still variables can stack up. And like I said, now that I'm newer to the speaker world, I don't know. I'm starting to think maybe I'm just going to tell people because my joke was always I don't do a PowerPoint presentation. I do a powerless, pointless presentation. And I sort of I don't know, but those I think it's those two star reviews, those two one star reviews where I'm like they need something linear and I'm nonlinear. 
And it's just hard for me to follow a linear PowerPoint. Do you have PowerPoint in your presentation? I do have PowerPoints in my presentation, but I have no stats except for one. That's a joke. It's actually, it's three stats. There's three slides with stats, but they're a punchline. So yeah, um, they're all images. They're just for my visual learners. Yeah, Um, I do have images, but okay. Thank you. Well, maybe I'll take up some coaching. Do you do speaking coaching? I do do speaking coaching. Oh, okay. Well, maybe I will. I think, I mean, Wendy Friesen was on. I don't know if you know Wendy. Yeah. She's a hypnotherapist and she did hypnotherapy for me, helping me. (laughs) I know. All right. Clearly this podcast is just for me. (laughs) (laughs) I get people to come to my garage and I say, I want to help heal myself and others, but you know, it's (laughs) just luring them in, luring them in. (laughs) I just want to heal myself and others. Okay. Okay. If you're out there listening, you too can hire Stacy Peterson. What's your, what is your website? Well, my website for speaker coaching is boring to soaring speeches.com. Wow. Boring to soaring speeches.com. Yeah. Brilliant. Thanks. Boring to soaring. Okay. And then what for uh, speaking for motivational speaking? You're going to be so impressed with this. It drum roll is Stacy Peterson. Dot com And that's Peterson with a D as in David. Um, it's my name. I came up with that all. On <laughs> now, was that your married name or your? Yeah, oh. my second. So it's actually been my third name because I had my maiden <laughs> and the first. And I, w- I wanted to change it. I wanted to change it after this last divorce. And everybody was like, no, everybody knows you as Stacey Peterson. I want to talk about that sometime yeah. too. The whole branding and can we change our names? Because, you know, I've been embracing the non-binary and I've got this name that keeps coming to me in my meditations and I'm like ah but Nancy Norton the alliteration although I can't I cannot stand Nancy I just feel ashamed when I hear the name (laughs) Nancy (laughs) it's my mother Nancy (laughs) why are you doing that so I don't know I don't know about the branding but I understand Stacey Peterson you have a reputation yeah you want to keep it going it's a brand branding this whole branding branding, but it's hard to spell no one can spell it so whenever people google it's the wrong spelling and some people might say Pedersen yeah all the time I always get introduced to Stacey Pedersen because uh (laughs) when I worked in central supply at 16 years old I worked in central supply at a hospital we had to wash all the instruments like the clamps and let me tell you there is a speculum a vaginal speculum called the Pedersen speculum for women with a very small vagina. And it is a very narrow, like tiny duck bill. We used to, you know, do little puppet shows with the, specu- <laughs> the speculums. But I remember the Pedersen. The, the Pedersen pe- name. Yeah, the Pedersen is a famous vaginal speculum. <laughs> You could take that. I think that can we work into your logo. I think so, you, too. Do you mind working that into your logo? <laughs> <laughs> That's free. <laughs> I'm, I'm not charging for that. For that. <laughs> Anybody who needs branding coaching, how can they hire you? Uh, they hire, they Nancy. Can, they can, Nancy. You have to, how can you spell that with a shaming voice? N-A-N-C-E-E-E-E dot org. <laughs> Nancy, how dare you bring up a vaginal spagula? But that'll see. I think people are going to remember. They That's, are going to. This I'm is gonna, all part of my I trick. Part, I'm. I've got to figure some way to spin this. <laughs> yeah. Anything else you want to share uh, besides uh, the 
Patterson. <laughs> Patterson speculum. Did I say that right? I don't even yeah. know if I'm speculum. speculum. Vaginal speculum. Um, <laughs> sorry. I'm sorry. We, we can we can cut that out. <laughs> no, you can totally keep it. Well, I just, so yeah, people, I want them to be able to find you. I mean, we got, we know where to find you, which is good. And I want to, I really do want to do some from, I don't think mine are boring. I think, could, could you come up with another name like, from awkward to, <laughs> to sockward. <laughs> oh, wait. From awkward to forward. What, oh, oh, that's good. No. Or what about from rambling to riveting? Oh, oh. that is me. From <laughs> rambling to riveting. That's okay. Oh. Wait. Yeah, there you go. That's we got to do that at least once an episode. <laughs> Hit our heads on the microphone <laughs> thing. The booms, whatever these things are called. I love it. Rambling, because I do think people could get confused with my brilliant <laughs> bits of wisdom and think that is just rambling when in fact they are golden nuggets. <laughs> they are golden nuggets. Golden nuggets that I have strung together <laughs> in a beautiful bracelet of love and light. You can wear, you too can wear my beautiful nugget. nugget. For only $9,999. several payments, 12 months, 12 months, $69.99 payments. <laughs> And we'll get you there. I don't know. I, I haven't done the math, but what if I'm a savant and that, that turns out to be the <laughs> Go to my uh, new website from rambling to, ra- <laughs> to stealing. I'm stealing Stacy. I'm stealing Stacy Pedersen's idea. If- <laughs> rambling to riveting. <laughs> With vaginal speculum. Yeah. Yes. That's in my writer. Uh, on the mic stand, I require a vaginal speculum. <laughs> midway up the midway up the mic stand. I need a strap-on speculum midway up the mic stand for emergency. Um, scoot, scoot, scoot. <laughs> I have to have emergency HPV checks. <laughs> you know, because at the conference, at the conference, I might be making out with some of the attendees and I need to do an emergency. <laughs> Get yourself checked, everybody. If you have a small vagina, don't be afraid. Ask for the Pedersen. <laughs> Request the Pedersen speculum. <laughs> oh my this is therapy. This is therapeutic oh. humor we're doing. Yeah, I'm feeling it, but I am going to, I'm not, I'm going to enlist your services, but I refuse to say from boring. Cause I'm just, you're not boring. I'm not boring, but I am confusing <laughs> <laughs> from confusing to inspiring from rambling to riveting riff, 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 riffing, riffing, riffing. <laughs> oh, it's riveting Rosie, the riveter. That could be the symbol. Oh. With a speculum with in your the spe- hand? I was just going to say, with the speculum. <laughs> this is your new... You got to have that as part of the I website. Just need the, I need the vaginal speculum as like the microphone and then the little black fuzzy thing that goes <laughs> Yeah, it. the little sock, the little, little wind sock. sock. Yeah, yeah for, for safety. <laughs> <laughs> Don't hit yourself in the teeth. <laughs> you ever hit yourself in the teeth with a speculum? That's when you're new. You're doing. That's when your gynecologist is back. Back that shit up. <laughs> you overscooted. You hit, if you hit your gynecologist in the teeth with your speculum, you have overscooted. You've overdone your scoots. Scoot, scoot, scoot. Scoot your boots back. Back, back your scoots back up. Okay, we're just gonna keep going. This is the best part. <laughs> Oh, 
that was helpful. Thank you. Do you ever worry that you may miss out on clients who don't want to identify as boring? <laughs> I well, find I I find myself boring. I'm gonna <laughs> from boring <laughs> to soaring. No, I never really. Now I have that a uh, nice healthy fear. Thank you. <laughs> I'm not calling. <laughs> if I call her, then I'm admitting I'm boring, and I just don't know. I think from Damn near boring to absolutely soaring to never boring. Okay, I'm trying to. <laughs> You're trying to you have plenty of clients, right? You have fun. <laughs> and and let's be honest. I mean, the I this is part of I think the reason I do things in the moment is because I can't stand as someone with ADHD. I cannot watch a canned presentation. Oh yeah, I can feel it. I'm just like, oh, mm-hmm. if it is scripted, and I, feel, I just, I do. I can't even listen to the prompts on the phone when you call. They go, so and so, da da da, reach press one for such and such press. I two. guess. Do you guess? I, I guess. guess. You guess. <laughs> I always just like hit zero or four. Zero twice. <laughs> Have you learned to hit zero twice? Beep, beep, yeah. Hit it twice, and then they go <laughs> and they hang up. Four. Four is a good option. I yeah. Four. A lot of times I'll shoot for four. Oh man. You're daring. You're daring. No. If you're well, if it's wrong, then I'll hit zero. I know, but so ooh, yeah. I, I mean, you know, you're calling in a prescription. If you're a healthcare professional, bing, hit one. Like, oh, <laughs> they think you're a doctor, and then they're mad when they pick up. Uh, I just tune out, and then I'm at, at the end. I'm like, oh no, I missed all the prompts. But you know, I went somewhere in my mind, and I missed. I don't know, I've just started over. Yes. So I don't know. I do. Yes. I, well, here's what I, th- this is the world according to Stacy that nobody asked for. Um, I think that in the speaking world, when it comes to giving speeches, people think they're giving information of what they know. And from an acting and a comedic background, to me, it's an emotional experience. Yes. I can tell them anything and they're not going to remember it. But if I make them feel a certain way where they want to be a part or I can word it in an entertaining or memorable way, they're going to walk away with that and actually use it. And so I think that creative element, I mean, if you think about how we've passed information on for thousands of years, it's storytelling, music, it's art, it's the creative side of everything. And when you go and you listen to those boring presentations, Three steps to five, eight, and everything's an alliteration. It's like you've heard it all before. You know where it's going. You know what I mean? Yeah, and that whole, like, I did read a book once. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> I didn't read the whole thing, Stacy. <laughs> I did skim it. But it was, you know, something I can't remember. One of the gurus of speaking, right? Like, you tell them what you're going to tell them. Yes. You tell them and you tell them what you told them. And then, oh, my God. But I barely tell them. I let them guess. That's the <laughs> <laughs> guess what I was talking about the whole time. I let them deduce what the whole thing was about. You're innovating. I'm You're innovating. Innovating. That is engagement. Yeah. Well, that is my. <laughs> we. we <laughs> I wonder what. I wonder what this was about. And then I force them to come up with the whole philosophy. And then they'll see me in the hallway and they go, I really got what you're saying. And they'll tell me <laughs> what my spe- what my speech was about. And I'm like, you're, you got it. You are a change speaker. You change where you're headed every five minutes. Of that <laughs> I do. You're a change expert. <laughs> a change expert. I keep them on their toes. Like, all right, we started that story. We're finishing this other one. Now we're going to go back, finish that other story. We started at the beginning. 
are there any questions? <laughs> they are so confused. They don't know to ask. They, they're scared. Oh, gosh. Yeah, this is good. Yeah. This, yeah. Well, thank you. This has been healing for me. I don't know about the others. <laughs> it has been. This is the most fun podcast I've ever done. We won a prize. <laughs> I want Bing. I need. I need to use these buttons. They have hit one of the random buttons. Let's see what happens. Oh, oh, absolutely nothing. nothing. Happened. We forgot to slide this oh. up. All right, okay. now. All right, I now feel I, like I have to hit four. <laughs> okay, don't ever use four. <laughs> you, know. you have pressed an incorrect key. Now your telephone is going to explode. Now I wish I had an exploding button, which I do not. I love this button, though. How was the podcast? How was how was my how was that keynote by Nancy Norton? <laughs> thank you for thank you for your feedback. <laughs> Maybe we should do that like as part of you know when they have flooding techniques, you know, when people are afraid of spiders or something and they, oh. they have to get covered entirely <laughs> we with spiders. Do this with comedians. Yeah, no, this is like for our rejection. <laughs> oh, Stacy, here's what I think. <laughs> and then we just do it. Our speaker and experience of my life. Yes. That's oh. it. And then how was that date? Mm. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> Well, thank you uh, for ending on that note. And <laughs> <laughs> this one? <laughs> I can't help it. I love the knife. <laughs> the knife that's twisted. <laughs> this is so good for us. You know, just embrace rejection and failure. And then the rest is gravy. That's true. It's very Buddhist. Oh. You know, I like once that. you admit or accept. Admit. <laughs> Admit. <laughs> Once you accept that life is suffering. Yeah. <sighs> the rest is so easy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Once you accept life sucks and you're going to continually be rejected, it's quite freeing. <laughs> it is. You get it. Thank you for tuning in to Traumedy. Join us every Tuesday. It's Traumedy Tuesdays. I want to thank my guest, Stacy Peterson. Thank you so much for being here. And we'll see you guys. Uh, well, we're not going to see you. We never are. We don't look out at anything. We are just on the radio. <laughs> it's not even a radio. It's what is it? Where are we? I don't know. Where, isn't it? Isn't the internet ones and zeros? Aren't we're, we ones yeah, and zeros? We're just a bunch of. We're just. A, yeah, we're a. I'm a non-binary binary system. <laughs> I'm just all zeros myself. <laughs> I'm a two. I don't know. <laughs> Oh, let's have fun, whatever we do. Thanks, Stacy. Thank you. What a blast. I want to thank my friend Stacy Peterson. You can get a hold of Stacy Peterson at her website. I think we covered that pretty thoroughly. StacyPeterson.com. You can reach out to me, Nancy Norton, NancyNorton.tv, like television. And let me know. Let me know if you have a contribution. Or you want me to come give the power of humor presentation at your venue, your hospital, your clinic, your bank, your real estate company. I'll go wherever you'll have me. Your garage. Oh, yeah. Hell yeah. Come out. I'll come out and give the power of humor in your garage. I've done it before. I'll do it again. 
Don't threaten me. I also want to thank my son, Nathaniel Norton, for putting together my Tromedy Loop for the podcast. And thank you, the listener. We'll see you. No, we won't. We're not going to see you. But tune in every Tuesday. It's Tromedy Tuesdays. And remember to share Tromedy with a friend, like, and subscribe. I really don't think you can like it because it's not on YouTube yet. I don't know where you can like it. You could like it on Facebook, I suppose. Just, just like it in your heart. 